reporter from the New York Times at the time, or she said she was, uh, came to the premiere and asked me how did I feel about killing children in a film. Uh, some people that I had acting classes with said, you did that film? Yeah, I took a little heat. I'm Eli Roth, and this is my Shudder original series, History of Horror Uncut. Each episode is a candid conversation with a master of the genre, drawn from raw and unfiltered interviews conducted for my AMC TV series, Eli Roth's History of Horror. These are deep dives into the dark power and wicked fun of frightening movies, the craft that goes into making them, and the ways that horror reflects the anxieties of our times. They're also probing, insightful, and often funny conversations that open up doors into the minds of horror star creators. The terror begins right after this. Ken Fari has acted on the stage, in movies, and on television for five decades, playing a wide range of parts. But to horror fans, he will always be Peter, the hero of George Romero's masterpiece, Dawn of the Dead. Ken sat down with History of Horror showrunner Kurt Sienga to discuss his experiences working on Dawn of the Dead and how the film affected his life, for better and for worse, the international appeal of horror, his work with Rob Zombie, and the importance of carrying on when your life is falling apart. It's a freewheeling conversation that reveals the actor's great warmth and humor. Ken, what horror movies made an impression on you? Oh, we'd have to go back to the 1950s. You know, Dracula, Bela Lugosi, Frankenstein, Boris Korloff, all of those old Hammer films. Peter Cushing, you know, those people. I love those films. See, I lived in the Midwest, so you didn't have what they have today, and I hope a lot of your audience will relate to this. You didn't have the endless television that you have today. It went off at uh, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. That was it, no more television. So on Friday nights, you had the scary movie. <laughs> and so as a young child, I was set up and scared my brothers to death with the scary movie every Friday night. So <laughs> but that was basically it. <laughs> What was offered was The Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, sometimes a comedy like uh, Abbott and Costello, Meet Frankenstein or something, you know. So we enjoyed that, except for Willie Best doing the big eye thing, but we, we, did, we did enjoy it. What got you into acting? Basically, I auditioned for a play because someone else was auditioning, and they gave me the lead. We played at the Manhattan Theater Club, and we did quite well. That was the beginning of my career. Is there anything you can do acting-wise in a horror film that you can't in a conventional drama? I think there's a demand on, on your character to show emotional reaction to certain situations. And I think you do that with horror or with any other genre. So it's my job to get there, and I do. 
is it trickier to get there in a film where there's maybe blood flying all over the place and effects and whatever? You know, strangely enough, I usually don't see the effects until you see them. You know, uh, occasionally they will call me over and say, Ken, we're doing an effect. You might want to see it, but it's rare. You know, I've seen a few outside of the screening when we're shooting that song, but I don't think it gets in the way. You know, it's not in my performances outside of the effect, you know. Blood spurts, it's life. <laughs> there's death, there's blood, and there's gore. Now, when you were working with Romero, like, how did that happen? I auditioned. I was doing Off-Broadway in New York, and someone told me there was a role that I might be perfect for in Midtown Manhattan. And would I like to go up and give it a shot? And I said, why not? Went up and met George, met Richard. I auditioned with Galen Scott and David and they called me back the next week to audition with three other people. Uh, three days later, called me, I think, something like that, and uh, said I had the role. That was it. What was it like shooting the film? It was just a lot of fun. I was young. I was in my early 20s, so <laughs> I could jump, I could leap. George asked me, he said, Ken, we want you to run over, dive, turn three times, and then under the bench, shoot the gun and kill one of the bikers. I said, no problem. This is concrete. <laughs> I didn't think of a second about it. I hit it, got it in one take, and that was it. No issue. You know, we were happy to be there. All of us very happy to be working. As I said, we were very young. We had very little experience. And all of a sudden, we're the four leads in a film. And... Afterwards, I mean, the press conferences were uh, Rona Barrett, Rex Reed, Gene Shalit, oh God, a few others that were, that were top critics at the time, uh, had national shows, all gave us a thumbs up. They all came to a press conference we had. So this was, a, this was a, an adventure from the time we arrived in Pittsburgh to the time we had our first screening. It was just a whirlwind for us. Were you conscious of the fact that you're the first black hero to survive? I didn't consider that. I considered the ending to be an uplifting ending and that Galen and I got away. And that's about it. I wasn't aware that another African-Americans had been killed within the first three lines of a horror film. I, I just said people would come up and say it to me. Hey, you made it, you, you, you survived. I said, yeah. Yeah, it's great, that's great, man. <laughs> I said, okay. And I had to think about it as I'm going my way, walking where I'm doing, and someone else would come up and say the same thing. Then some people that were not African-Americans going to say, you know, you're the star that's strong. Uh, no. <laughs> there was a group of us, and why are you whispering? <laughs> you know? It was, it was, you know, so I, I didn't know. I didn't know at the time, you know, and it's become more prevalent as the years have passed that that's been one of the important matters for many African-Americans and certainly others in the horror genre who follow the films and said, hey, he lived. So I'm proud to have lived. <laughs> have you seen Night of the Living Dead before that? I had. I was a friend of Dwayne Jones's. He was, um, we were in the same activist group theater company in Harlem. Night of the Living Dead hits New York. 
Dwayne Jones is everywhere. His pictures in the lobby, cards, and they've got names on the marquee. And I look, I said, my God. So I run down the street, because my theater company was about two or three blocks down 125th Street, but on 125th Street, up some stairs and the loft building. And I said, Dwayne, Dwayne, you're, you're in a movie. What's going on? He said, shh, don't say, don't say anything. I have no idea why. <laughs> I guess he wanted to keep it quiet. I have no idea. But I knew him before he did Night of the Living Dead, and I knew him afterward as well. We, we spent some great times together. He's a, a good friend. How did you envision the role of Peter in Dawn of the Dead? He was a hero. He was someone that had a job to do. He was a survivor in a very difficult situation. And I uh, grabbed what I could. People out of my past life who were similarly as stand-up and uh, strong-willed and people I admired, you know, men I admired who kind of shaped me. And Dwayne and I both came out of a period of time. This is 1968, 66, 67, 65, uh, 70s. We were both coming out of the civil rights movement. So there was a certain stand up, you know, and take charge. And you can about the African-Americans at that point. And uh, that was part of it as well. And I don't think either of those two films directly address race. Was it by not addressing race that they actually kind of make more of a point? Or? Oh, my God. I mean, the, the fact that Dwayne was the lead in a film. I think the only leads before that was Sidney Portier in Lilies of the Field. I don't think there was another lead in a, in a film that had a completely white cast before that. That was the statement. Often people quote George and they say, why did you hire Dwayne? Were you making a statement? And he always said, I hired the, the best actor for the role, I think that's the quote. I counter that with, he hired Dwayne Jones. He had the courage to hire an African-American when a lot of people wouldn't, and he did. By the time of Dawn of the Dead, of course, a lot of things changed and happened culturally. And at the same time, it's not like everything was magically better by the late 70s. It's not magically better now, my friend. Let alone. Are you kidding? That's yes. a big wheel, isn't it? Yes, so. yes, it is. It took a lot of heat. You know, some people didn't want to speak to me again because of the role. I think um, a reporter from the New York Times at the time, as she said she was, came to the premiere and asked me how did I feel about killing children in a film, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, some people that I had acting classes with said, you did that film? Yeah, I took a little heat. <laughs> I guess the only scene that I really was affected by in Dawn of the Dead as an actor walking in a scene and, and having to perform was the scene in the basement because that was so real. That was really a shock. And it kind of put me back on my heels for a second. The rest of them I didn't really see and only during the screenings. I thought it was gory. I thought uh, that the, the hatchet to the head of one of the characters, I think has become iconic at this point. I think, um, these, there's certainly a lot of the eating of corpses and eating of bodies has uh, influenced 
and probably motivated many of the zombie films that we see today, including The Walking Dead and all the others, to follow up that course. Even if they're fast or slow zombies, you're still going to see that carnage. You know, it's just like a train wreck. You pass it by. You don't want to look, but you have to. What do you think George was getting at with the film itself? He was a pretty socially conscious political filmmaker. Yes, and I think almost every filmmaker has a message, or tries to have a message. And every writer tries to you know, have an opinion, either political or social. I think George's was consumerism. I think that you know the zombies are really who we are, you know? And I think there's a line in the film where, I think David says it, who are they? They're us. They, why do they come here? It's the only place they know. I'm paraphrasing here, but I, you know, I, I think that's, you know, George had little messages throughout the film like that. Did you know the line, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth, would become iconic? No, absolutely not. I had no idea. This was an adventure for us. All of us were very inexperienced actors at the time. I had a guest star role on a Kojak, and I did a um, universal picture called Bingo Long, Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings. No one else had any credits whatsoever in terms of film. So we were all just raw as we could be. So it was an adventure for us. It was um, a lot of fun. We had no idea where it was going to end up. I didn't think that it would play South America for the gore, because I thought it's colors, gore, that I gonna let it in the United States. Uh, to my surprise, and I'm the guy that, of course, said that uh, rap wouldn't, wouldn't last, <laughs> would be a, just a fade, fade, would fade out, because <laughs> Dawn of the Dead played everywhere and got, I mean, every drive-in, every uh, theater. Manhattan had played at the Winter Garden on the west side, right off of Broadway, the embassies right on the east side in the 60s. Well, they didn't play on 42nd Street where you were lower in theater houses. They were opening the drive-ins all over the country and midnight showings. So we got a lot of fun for that film. In the process of making that film, I know it was all done in Pittsburgh, right? So, yes. And, and so it had kind of a more of a homespun production feeling. And then it became this film where now it's, you know, it's always in print. It's a bona fide classic, all of that. Oh, so yeah, anybody yeah. have any idea that would happen? I don't think so. Strangely enough, the people of Pittsburgh really embraced George and embraced being involved in a film. And I would imagine if George had been from Cleveland or um, Gary, Indiana, they would have, he would have had the same effect. You know, people just wanted to be part of it, to, to uh, have a role in it. Even as a zombie, we had one zombie, and it was 70 degrees, and we shot outside, and he's in a bathing suit and a towel. And the next morning, it dropped to zero, and we had to keep shooting that same scene, and he was turning blue outside. And I asked him, I looked at him, I said, listen, come inside. You know, we get warm for a while, you know. You don't have to freeze out here. He said, no, no, no. I may lose my spot. I've got to be in this, you know. So they were really committed to being a part of George's uh, productions, being a zombie. And the people of Pittsburgh also wanted to work. There were cinematographers and gaffers and, you know, uh, people that wanted to work and needed to work. And George was the biggest fish in town. 
I know the guy you're talking about. I don't know him, but I mean, I know from yeah, the yes. shot, and he looks like he's freezing. Like, he looks. Oh my god! It was amazing just to watch him stand out there, and he did not flinch. I think he had a beach towel on his arm or shoulder. He never wrapped it around him. You know, that's a lot of dedication. Well, maybe maybe we should put that up for actors and say this is what this is the kind of discipline you have to have, kind of dedication to the job. <laughs> awesome. What was the original ending of the film supposed to be? I was supposed to kill myself, and Galen Ross was supposed to commit suicide as well by sticking her head up through the uh, chopper blades and and decapitating herself. And I was supposed to put the, the derringer to my head and and. Uh, and shoot myself as I remember it, you know, and often in these situations, what I remember and what someone else remembers are not the same thing. You get two people watching the same accident and at the same time, they're both gonna give you a different story. So and so I'm, I'm just gonna give you mine. Uh, George and I talked just before we were gonna shoot it. And I said, you know, this is awfully dark. I said, none of us are living. Nobody's gonna survive this. He said, I know. And he said, well, what do you think? I said, I don't know, what do you think? He said, well, you think you should live? I said, yeah, we think we should live. And that's how, that's how I thought it, uh, we decided to we would change it. So that was a relief, I guess. I thought it was a good move. You know, it was a very depressing film in many ways. You know, the whole world's coming to an end. You know, this is, you know, the carnage, the, the gore. And, uh, it needed an ending that there's something else out there that somebody's going to survive. Well, George had already created the most depressing ending in film history. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, the entire world sat there watching Dwayne Jones, and they said, Jesus, he's going to make it. He's our hero. Black or white, didn't matter. He's our hero. He's going to make it. And we said, oh, he's going to open the door. They're going to see him. They're going to free him. God, he's going to free him. And pow, right between the eyes, he's dead. And I think the entire world, including me and probably you, took a sigh of regret when that happened. And that was a good ending. But I think for Dawn of the Dead, we chose the correct ending for that one as well. Did you know Rob Zombie, or were you a fan of him before you worked on Devil's Rejects? Well, Devil's Rejects, my God. I mean, that was so much fun. So much fun. Rob was loose. I think that Lionsgate let him do what he wanted to do. You know, sometimes when you're shooting a film and you're a director, you have a production company behind you, uh, they want to be there every day and kind of let you know that they're there in so many words. <laughs> and I don't think that happened with uh, Lionsgate and with Devil's Rejects. So Rob was able to direct it the way he wanted. He had time to direct it. He was 
a very generous director. He often said that, you know, he said, go ahead, say what you want for me. I never know what you're going to say anyway, because <laughs> I always had something, something in, a, in, a, in, in a moment of scene. There's always that creative juice, and all of a sudden, the, the, I've said the line, and something else comes up. And he says, where'd you get that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, it's great, print it. <laughs> it works. It works well. So, so he was wonderful to work with. I would work with Rob again. I would love to work with Rob on something that I write. I'm going to give you a few things on Lord of the Saint, okay? And I'll tell you why. When I read the script, I said, God, this visually, this is going to be fantastic. You know, and Rob's the master with, with, language, with uh, dialogue. So I thought, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to cost a lot of money. I don't see how he's going to do it, but it's going to be wonderful. And I think he ran into more problems with that shoot than you can shake a fist at. Just constantly things going haywire and wrong and him having to plug in. You know, it's like a little kid with a dike, you know, putting his thumb in dikes constantly. Uh, I think he was besieged with that. But uh, the reason I won't say anything else about this film because I had a tragic, tragic situation with my family and with me. At that point, during the rehearsals and during that film, I barely made it out of that film. I shouldn't have made it, I shouldn't have gone past the rehearsal period. And it was traumatic. Okay, I won't go any further than that, but it was as it's, it's, it's bad as you can think it, it could be, it was. So I don't want to discuss this one, or do I discuss it? a few others that, are, that happened in my career where things have just been as awful as things could be for you. And those films always bring back those memories. The first thing they bring back are those memories, not the film. Is the horror genre particularly adept at grappling with social and political issues? Sure it is. Always, always has been. I'm, um, I like the classics. The Omen, The Exorcist. I was a assistant theater manager for the Baronet Cornet Theaters in New York, right across from Bloomingdale's, uh, for The Exorcist. So I saw it every day, <laughs> three or four times a day. Because, you know, we, didn't have, we get, get the audience in, there's nothing going on, the manager's doing his thing, everybody's I go up and, you know, just make sure the audience is okay, there's nothing going on, and I would see Linda Blair every day, Exorcist. So all the films have something social or political, a statement that can be made in horror. You don't have to, unless you just have a slasher movie. And even then, you've got people being themselves, living, doing what they do normally in a daily. So there's probably a message of our daily lives. Maybe they're subliminally putting in some kind of message that sometimes you don't catch because when the gore starts, you know, you forget all about it. But I, I think it's there. I think it can be, has been, and should be. We're talking to Jordan Peele about his films, and we talked to him last time, mm -hmm. too, about Get Out, and this time we're going to cover Us. So mm -hmm. did you see that, and how did that film strike you? Us? I thought, we are them. <laughs> that was my whole <laughs> assessment of that film, you know. You have, like, this kind of well-off uh, African-American family, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then at the same time, there's this contrast essentially saying, like, okay, you're now part of this, assimilated into society, and yet you could be these other people. You could be these other people, yes. Yeah. And so could their friends be these other people. They were just not an African-American. 
they're friends because they were assimilated there. They went to the beach. They immediately said hello to their friends who were, were not African-American, as if they were long-lost buddies, as if they'd known each other since they were childhood. And in the end, both families are being attacked by that subculture, you know? So I think it's societal. That's yeah, it's when, it's when you know it's not a movie about race, it's a movie about class. That's exactly right, exactly right, exactly, yes. When it comes to acting, do you prefer the stage or? Oh, I prefer to work, period. Stage or film, doesn't matter. It's not a preference for me. I started on the stage and um, I've been in film for many, many years in television. There are different art forms completely so depending on what you want to do if you want to spend the time to do a play and be involved in a play then this may, may take you months on a film you can probably do a film in a few months and that's it or you may do a film in a week or a couple of weeks and that's it so you know there's a, there's a difference in how you approach it you, know, you have to know your angles where the camera is where your marks are with the other actor you have to depend on the actor as much in front of camera as you do on stage maybe more sometimes is your process in approaching a character the same, or how do you usually dig in? Process is probably the same. And I try to find something in my, my life that uh, I can draw you know, and make it real. You know, my, my job is to make it as, as real and authentic and as close to me as I can. You know, I've lived a fairly long time, so I have a lot to draw from. And if I didn't have that, I would go out and search for something, you know, anything I can, you know, and I ask someone, you know, let me, if I have to play a truck driver who has um, cancer, then I'm going to feel what it's like to be in that seat for 14, 18 hours and be in pain. So I might have to ask him what it's like. Let me drive with you, you know, something like that. I have to get a feel for it. There's something I, if I don't have it in my experience, I have to find it somewhere and bring it to the character. Because that's what the role calls for. It calls for me to do my job. If your personal life is complicated or difficult at a certain point, then is that complicated when you're trying to act as a certain character? Interesting story. Someone asked Lucy why she was up every day to do that show, I Love Lucy. I said, why are you up every day? I mean, don't you have a bad day? to come in when something was gone terribly wrong for you? She said, yeah, all the time. But when I get on that stage, it becomes playtime and all that goes away. And Lucy plays. So, you know, with, as actors, that's, that's our responsibility. You know? Put that away, deal with it. Sometimes there can be issues. There can be issues. Certainly life is... Uh, Life can throw you a curve once in a while, and you can certainly falter. No, no one's uh, be above making a mistake. And I certainly have made many. But um, generally, that's the way it goes. I'm paid to show emotions and emotions that are in the script for that character. And that's what I should do. We were just talking about Alien in the same way that was an ensemble cast, and you really don't know who the the hero winds up being the survivor, much like you and Galen were the survivors, and 
Ripley is the right. survivor. Exactly. It turns out, oh, she's the hero of the movie. Exactly. Yeah. I met Yape Kuro, and I did a film many years ago uh, about Peter Maris. And Yafet had a day on the film. And I was so impressed. Yafet Koro. I mean, I had seen Yafet in things with uh, Dean Martin in that five-card stud or whatever that thing. I mean, I seen Yafet in, in, in early black and white TV. I was a huge fan of Yafet Koro. So to finally meet him, <laughs> he's standing, you know, it scene wasn't up, but he was kind of near his position. I went, can I get you anything, Yafet? <laughs> Would you like some water? I'm, an, I'm one of the leads. And I'm doing, can I get you something, Yafet? This is something I could do for you. Just shine your shoes, Yafet. I just thought I was always a great, great... I thought he was a terrific actor. Yeah, he had but, such intensity, too. Yes, yes, yes. And um, in Alien, as an ensemble cast... Very good ensemble cast, you know. Not a weak link anywhere there. I know you mentioned your reaction to the chest burster. Did you tell oh, us about God, that? God. I might as well tell the entire world now that you've pointed this out. When Alien, I'm sitting in the theater and um, a girlfriend's next to me and it's packed, you know, Alien, you know. It's coming out of the I'm not quite sure what it's about, but I've heard some things, but I'm, that's all I'm, so I'm going to see this. And all of a sudden, he's lying on the table, and the blood starts squirting, 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 squirting. And this thing comes up. <laughs> Immediately, I jump up. <laughs> I'm getting out of there. <laughs> I look around, and I'm the only one standing. I can't help. I told you this before. I got to laugh every time I tell it. I'm the, I'm the only one standing. And I said, oh, this is humiliating. <laughs> this is so humiliating. <laughs> sit down, sit down, sit down. You're the biggest guy in here, and you're jumping up like a big puss. <laughs> so that's my alien story. And as you told me, John Bellucci <laughs> ran out of the ran. theater, <laughs> which is great. Ran, yes. Me and John, maybe we're the only sensible people in the theater. <laughs> we know it's time to leave. <laughs> You can think of any other movie that didn't affect on you that much that was that oh, disturbing. <laughs> oh, there have been some disturbing ones, but I tell you a movie that made me kind of cringe. I was in Sejus and I, I was on a jury that, uh, years ago, and I saw a film called Old Boy, the original, Korea, and also saw a film called Three Degrees, and Three Degrees was just disgusting. Custody It was, oh, I, I, I don't know if people want to see again. <laughs> it was that, it was that, it's just, just disturbing, very disturbing. Also, a French film called Inside, very disturbing. Action, talk about action, talk about a thriller, talk about um, a slasher movie, but not, not not in a bad way. I mean, it's not slashing all the way through, but appropriately placed at the right moment. And that was inside. Great movie, great movie. So it had, have you seen many of the Italian films versus the French films? Are there like national characteristics to horror films? 
the story i don't think so i think the stories usually are pretty much the same it's just that you have a submission from italy and a submission from uh, switzerland or you have a, a, a submission from uh, spain I don't think that they have uh, the nationality of the film unless you can pick out something in terms of the accent or something like that. But basically, they're telling the story. And, it, and, it, and the story is, is pretty universal. And it's usually meant to make you jump or, you know, say, ooh. <laughs> well, the Italians certainly used to go a lot farther than the Americans. Oh, yes, yes, they did. They did. They did. They, they liked to uh, spread the blood <laughs> and the gore. And I did a short years ago called Dead Bones, and I shot it in the same town in south of Spain, where um, Eastwood did, did a few dollars more, and uh, all of those spaghetti westerns, and also uh, Charles Bronson, and it's where he said his brother stand on his knees on the archway there, and they hung him. The Sergio Leone Eastman did a lot of his films there, that same little town, little um, uh, studio. And uh, very little story, but a lot of gore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you had to say, okay, why? It's almost like, it's almost like the gore is there and the gore is telling the story instead of the actor. So, you know, yeah. That describes a lot of Italian films in yeah. the 70s. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it does. It does. Over, it's just this killing with blood and the blood and flesh and, you know, and the rest of the story we can, doesn't matter. <laughs> Is there any kind of film or any genre that you wish you could work in haven't been able to? You know, I can, give me, a drama would be wonderful. Be nice. I'm, I'm like all actors. I mean, I mean not all. I'm, I'm being very general with that. But I would prefer to be on a sound stage, working on a drama, and five days on and have my weekends off. <laughs> Who wouldn't? With no locations, just going back home. You know, that kind of thing. So that would be the perfect job for me. And I, I don't know if it could be drama. It could be, oh, Human Hill Street Blues. Want to hear an interesting story? Because sure. I'm, I find that you ask me what I'm, what I watch, and even if I'm watching something from another genre or horror, I find myself looking behind the camera. I mean, beyond the, the actors, and looking at the extras and continuity. I don't know why, but it's just something. I guess because I'm. Yeah, I, I spot so many things that, that that people aren't looking for. The Hill Street Blues, uh, as you go into the captain's office, it's a file cabinet. And I had a buddy, his name was Jerry Balak, and he would had a, a, an extra role, or he'd have a line every once in a while, but it's a glorified extra, I think he was. And he would come, come in sometimes and, you know, be with some of the other cops and then walk out of the room and that kind of thing. So they walked in one day, and uh, the Emmy they had won last year was sitting on top of the file cabinet. <laughs> so Jerry and the guy walk in, and Jerry walks out, and as deftly as possible, takes it and keeps walking. So those are the kind of things <laughs> that you look for. I look for. I don't, don't ask me so crazy. I could name you so many films that I found 
very, very, very good production. You know, I'm talking about top, you know, top tier productions. That you know, all of a sudden the actor's here and he's walking, and the door from the car opens, and he's walking past. Next shot of him coming, he's still back in. The door hasn't opened yet. So you say, hey, well, somebody wasn't watching. <laughs> yeah, no. There's only so much time, right, to get it right. So you just got to keep on moving. <laughs> Good for guys like me. <laughs> You're not that, shooting yeah. it for guys like me. Or look at me beyond. Because no one else is going to know this. That's but people in the, in the industry. Yeah. Well, my Yeah, my wife and I watch movies, and it's like we're watching two completely different movies because I'm looking at camera work and a lot of other things, and, yes. and, and she's looking at the sets. And yeah. so it's like every piece of furniture in the set, and she could tell you, like sit down now and give you a hundred movies and tell you how it was decorated, basically, and yeah, and also noticing like the things are moving around. Right, 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 shots, right, right, so, right, right. Yeah. At least your wife's in the business, though. Oh, she was, yeah. She was, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. See, it's it's a little different when you're sitting there with somebody and you're the only one that. Yeah, noticing that, and they're saying, "Will you shut up, please?" <laughs> you like, "Well, wait a minute." This she is... ran a prop house, so she actually recognizes the props that turn up. Oh, that's from great. From that's great. That's great. Great conversation. Yeah. With that's, that's 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 enjoyable. I talked to my wife, and um, I said, "Oh my God, they shot that because of this and this is the scene that see the lighting here. Somebody." Oh, she see they the act the, the the AD told this person to go there because will you shut up please I'm trying to enjoy the film okay <laughs> and that's our interview with the fantastic Ken Foray join us next time when our guest will be Nancy Allen and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. History of Horror Uncut is a Shudder original podcast hosted by Eli Roth and Kurt Sayanga, produced by Kurt Sayanga, engineered by Chris Heckman, with music by Maestro Joseph Bashara. For oddity, Jessica Bastilos Heckman and Lacey Ogbevoy. For Shudder, Craig Engler, Nicholas Lazo, and Samuel Zimmerman. The interviews in this program were originally conducted for the AMC television series Eli Roth's History of Horror. Executive producers Eli Roth, Kurt Sayanga, Stephen Michaels, Allison Berkeley, Joseph Freed, Jody Flynn, and James McNabb. Senior producer Ben Raphael Schur. Thanks to Kelly Nash, Richard Drew, Chris Powers, and most valuable player Clara Zwerbel at AMC. This is Kurt Sayanga for Eli Roth's History of Horror Uncut. cut.